Africa. Yes, we can. Person, woman, man, camera, TV. What the fuck is wrong with you? Welcome to What the Franklin. I'm your host, Chip Franklin, here on this Monday, December the 5th. It is, um, it's amazing to see and to occasionally look back over the last three years, and even if you want to go back six years, and a lot of that's going to come into play today. We're going to talk a little bit in just a moment about the latest on COVID and the flu and uh, this upper respiratory illness that's not just attacking children anymore. So we got all that coming up. I'm also in the middle of my COVID experience with my wife, who is suffering from some long COVID. We'll get to that in a minute. Brooklyn dad and, uh, of course, a Democratic strategist and White House correspondent and author Brian Karam will join us in this half hour. Then a bit later on, if you're not familiar with her from uh, Facebook and from YouTube and also on Twitter, Lauren Windsor will join us. (laughs) Lauren's got some cojones on her. She walks up to some of the stupidest Republicans in... uh, in the world and ask them questions that uh, embarrass them. Of course, and they're more than willing to do it. And then a little bit later on in the show, we will have the greatest thing you can see today on the internet. It's very funny. All right. Um, right now though, let's talk about this and, and try to figure out exactly what we're dealing with here across the U.S. We begin with a major surge in patients suffering from RSV and the flu. According to the CDC, 44 states, including New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, and Puerto Rico report very high levels of influenza-like activity. Visits to doctor's offices, urgent care, and emergency rooms for respiratory illnesses are at the highest they've been in the last decade. Today, Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer called on the federal government to have a plan to protect children and keep hospitals prepared to combat the spread of RSV and the flu. I would... So obviously, these are issues that are, are much more complicated than I can speak to. And so I'm really happy to have uh, Dr. Niket Paul with us here. Uh, we've been talking for the last three years about COVID, and he's so nice to join us again here on uh, What the Franklin. I'm going to get you our, your microphone back on here if we can, Doc. Um, right now, you're muted. Can you hear me? Yes, I there. can. Can you hear me okay? Um, a lot of questions for you. Number one. Um, is is the surge in COVID with the, the latest? Because I'll, I'll give you an ex- Is it that unexpected? It's hard to say if it's unexpected or is it um, what we're going to be expecting for the coming years. Multiple factors at play. One of the two big ones is not a lot of people are getting their new boosters. You know, there were the, if you were to go in sequence, there was the original two and then the third and fourth booster. And then technically the novel Omicron variant booster that just recently came out a few months ago. Uh, some studies have shown that people over 65 are actually just not getting their booster. This could potentially just simply be from COVID fatigue and exhaustion of dealing with this. That combined with the fact that, yes, the pandemic was declared over by the current administration, but when we have large-scale events like that, holiday, to a certain extent, isn't that a little irresponsible to declare pardon? something over it's not over. So he declared that the, the pandemic, meaning that the global scale of infections has decreased significantly. So he was he was right technically by the I definition. See, okay. But what I think it did was it gave people a false sense of security that COVID is no longer an issue. Um, even though he was very clear to say that, but of course, headlines speak louder than you know the actual body of the text. And so um, that combined with the fact that people are just not as mindful about what's going on in terms of Thanksgiving and Christmas because they feel that, you know, that COVID is gone, but it's not gone. It's always going to be in the background. And so numbers are going to rise during holidays, events, concerts, football games. It can still kick your ass. I mean, COVID, I know this, my wife got it two weeks ago this Saturday, and we have been the most (laughs) careful people in the world, you know, and I've never, and I was with her and I didn't get sick, but it knocked her on her ass and she's still... Um, her uh, so she got it on a. I, we think she was exposed two weeks ago Saturday, and yes. um, she still. When when her bad symptoms started to go down, the uh, she lost her sense of taste and smell, and the mm-hmm. back issues, the pain in the back, which we've been reading about, is not 
unusual, you know, a, a lower back pain that is just extremely uh, difficult. So, I mean, she's in pain right now. She's, you know, she, I was just talking to her a few minutes ago and she's, she's in, 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 in bad straits. I mean, it's hard for her to get up and walk around. This is not unusual, right? No, it's not unusual because of a few factors. One, everyone's immunity is individual. The second thing is if a person has had a long period of time between the last actual um, dose of their booster or vaccine, and then they come in contact with a new strain, the body will react to it. However, those symptoms that people do derive after having uh, contracted COVID and, you know, they go through these symptoms um, is still when they're vaccinated, it's still much, much less than what full-blown COVID could potentially have been if they were unvaccinated. Right. Well, and obviously, you know, vaccinations are the key here. Uh, they've always been the key. Um, Matt, we still wear masks when we go to the grocery store. Um, and I'm not at all at ill at ease about that. I could give a damn what people think. I'm doing it for mm -hmm. them, truly, in, in, in the end, end run, right? Um, but right now, we seem to have this trifecta of the flu, RSV, and um, um, COVID. Um, and it's, it's really yes. difficult for a lot of people to be able to tell the early uh, differences. I mean, obviously, well, let's, let's talk real quick about RSV because RSV uh, came on, the, the, I guess, but in the last two or three months, we started to really see it and it was mm -hmm. in children, but it's not just in children anymore. So what exactly is RSV and, and who should be afraid? So, RSV is a normal infection that's been around forever and it does affect children and it's most commonly seen in kids. And it's basically just another virus that most children will have had or at some point, uh, the CDC actually says that most children by the age of their second birthday will have actually been exposed to it and whether or not they develop severe symptoms or not um, is up to the individual strain of the RSV. And, and, and I like to think of RSV as kind of like... Um, an annual infection that does occur in the winter months. This year, however, the RSV is extremely aggressive, could be due to a mutation uh, that still has yet to be sort of delineated. Um, the other thing that's been going on is flu. Flu is extremely aggressive this year. Um, whether this is because of, there's, I think the mutation aspect plays a big role, um, or a delay in uptake of vaccinations. I think the COVID vaccination um, sort of misinformation has really spread to all vaccinations. And so people were less likely to get them. We're noticing this in our clinics where patients are not likely to want to get their flu shots. And so all these factors combined are straining the healthcare system. And then you have the pediatric hospitals as well that are just overwhelmed with RSV cases. When we talk about COVID, you, you said something that made me think that, um, and there's a big difference between misinformation and disinformation. Misinformation is people just not really truly understanding and making uh, decisions based mm -hmm. on a lack of knowledge. Disinformation is purposely putting false information out there to discourage people from doing something. Um, Correct. And as, as far as it relies to vaccines, um, to me, that's almost criminal. I was reading this the other day on um, where was it? Medpagetoday.com. Anyway, it's a it's a, I get a newsletter, a couple from a, a couple of newsletters about medicine and uh, infectious diseases. And they said there's actually not been one case in the entire country, 350 million people, where a healthy person got a COVID sh a vaccine like mRNA or Pfizer and died. Not one. Yeah. And yet we listen to this this, this disinformation. I, I think there's a political aspect of it too, you know, because so many people sure there is. don't. I mean, you and I both know if we could administer this vaccine through a, a nasal spray, a lot of this resistance would push down. This is like 10 year old stuff we're dealing with. Um, but we still have to deal with it. I mean, between the masks and the vaccines and just some awareness, you know, people mm -hmm. are promising people that we're, it's going to be like the 50s again. Well, guess what? In the 50s, we didn't have 300 flights a day coming into the United States from uh, parts of Asia where um, we still have wet markets. Right. Um, and I don't care what people want to believe about the origins of this. Uh, it's going to happen again. And it's not going to come from a lab next time. It's going to come from some part of the world where interactions with uh, humans and animals are, are much more intimate than they are now. And uh, we're going to have to deal with this again. Um, and, and we're not taking this seriously with a third of a percent of a fatality rate. If SARS and MERS had had this kind of 
um, uh, um, level of communication. What's the word I'm looking for? Contagiousness. <laughs> anyway, um, we would have had we'd have had five, ten million people dead, right? I mean, a lot more. Yes, the the contagiousness was a, a factor that was kind of in our favor in the sense of how it worked out, but also. Um, the work that the, the the physicians and scientists did in getting the vaccine rolled out within under a year um, using pre-existing technology was, I mean, I, I would, it's, it's Nobel Prize worthy that, you know, they saved the world. And so those scientists were, you know, the modern day Avengers for infectious disease. And so I think, yes, a lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation, and a lot of lack of wanting to believe science. And, and I've said this on your show before, but you know, the, the thing about science is um, you can disagree with it all you want to, but at the end of the day, it's still true. It's math, it's yeah. algebra, it's scientific fact. It doesn't change based on an opinion. Well, it, the problem it, is it, people it, are acting on those opinions. You were at Turo College of Medicine and you were on the front lines in this. And one of the things that I, I remind people is by the time we really understood this was a going to be a pandemic, probably sometime in March, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe of 2020. Mm -hmm. It had already mutated and it came into the US from London, from England, from Europe, into uh, Eastern airports. So while we were looking uh, west to toward China, it had already gone from Wuhan or wherever around the world and was coming into us and it looked different. So these mutations, I mean, the ones we know about, but if you have to guess, how many times has SARS-CoV-2 mutated in the last three years? Oh gosh, there are a lot of mutations, a yeah. lot. The If you read the scientific literature, there are actually so many mutations. Some of them are clinically relevant and some of them are more scientifically relevant in the sense of understanding this for the future. So the number of times I think is important for the science to know, but I think um, the messaging from the very beginning was mishandled by the previous administration that you know this is a, a virus that came from a part of the world and we were, and it was, you know, antagonistic. We should have just assumed that these things can happen. If the previous administration had explained that these things are going to happen, the world has crossed 8 billion people, the more crowding there will be, there's going to be chances of zoonotic organisms crossing over and affecting humans. If it had been taken seriously at the very, very start of um, the actual pandemic, um, I think that misinformation would have trickled down. There was trickle down economics, there's trickle down science, yeah. you know? And so I think it would have worked out well, but it, it wasn't. And so what's now happened is you've had a trickling down of mistrust. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, people were clapping at seven o'clock in the evening for healthcare workers. And now when the vaccines came out, they were picketing outside the hospitals. So, you know, it shows you just how much the pendulum can swing back and forth. Um, one last question again, Dr. Niket Paul, nice enough to join us from Turo College of Medicine in New York City. Um, I guess I, as I look forward here, uh, and you know, we will, our bodies get better at dealing with this as the virus changes as well. We become a little more resilient. Um, if you had to look around the corner though, and you mentioned zoonotic, is that the right word? Zoonotic? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's when, when a virus jumps from an animal to a human, right? You know, Correct. Um, what are the things that, I mean, for example, China would not take our mRNA. So obviously there's a communication, I mean, the vaccine we had available for them, they would not take it because it came from the United States. And obviously, you know, there's, there's a sense of us in the, in the U.S. that go, well, that's all, it's all on you, look what happens to you. But it doesn't just happen to them. It, it goes around the world. I mean, it's, and that kind of thinking, that kind of, um, um, I mean, macroeconomics is hard enough, but macro uh, uh, biology and, and, and virology is, it, it's, it changes just like that. And I think the thing that really worries me and others is that we have to have a relationship with these countries. And um, I mean, what would you suggest? Like some kind of, should we be having a World Health Organization meetings right now about this? I think I've said this maybe in your show like a couple of years ago. I've always felt that, you know, we have a UN to manage borders. We have a UN to manage humanitarian crises. And it's important. There needs to be a an empowered, not just a, a rubber stamp organization, but an empowered organization to allow the sharing of information uh, that crosses political lines and that it's unified across the globe with however 130, 40, 57 countries we have. 
because every country could be the next epicenter for the next pandemic. It's, it's possible. Idea. It's happened once. It would be stupid to say it couldn't happen again. And so, I therefore, agree. if information was shared, things could get done much faster. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a lot of things still to face about vaccinations for children and, and trying to get that word out. I think, to me, if we should be working on one thing, um, in the energy world, I say it's batteries, you know, but in, in the medicinal world, it's a way of distributing vaccines to people in a way without a shot because mm -hmm. needles are, are a huge impediment uh, to getting it around. Indeed. Doc, thank you so much, my friend. You look great. Good to Likewise, talk to you again. Good seeing you. Take care. Stay well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, Dr. Niketson Paul from uh, Turo College of Medicine in New York City. Great guy, smart guy. Um, but he's about the science, kind of like Fauci and some of these others that have come out. And when, when Rand Paul and his out of his eyeglass hut on Capitol Hill, I mean, I say that the guy's an ophthalmologist, okay? And he talks to Fauci, he talks down to Fauci, one of the leading epidemiologists, virologists, scientists in the world who was in the heart of, of trying to find the cocktail for HIV and to try to try to give the world some perspective then when now we need that same perspective now. And, you know, what do we don't have? Anyway, all right. A lot coming up here. Um, uh, we're going to be joined just a minute by uh, two good friends to talk about uh, what's happening. And there's there's a lot. And I want to start with Georgia. And um, and let me bring him in as I speak on that. Brooklyn Dad, again, a Democratic strategist, broadcaster. Uh, and <laughs> of course, we go to Karam and he's on the floor. Brian Karam, <laughs> White House correspondent, author of Free the Press, which is doing great. Congratulations again, my friend. Um, so Thanks. let's let's jump into this and try to figure out uh, what's going to happen and uh, there are there are new numbers uh, about the uh, the poll uh, some from some of the polls in, in Georgia. Let's get to that. New at five, our exclusive eleven alive poll for the U.S. Senate race shows the runoff between Democrat Raphael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker way too close to call. Warnock has the lead within the margin of error, pointing to a nail biter on Tuesday. Eleven alive's Doug. Rick All right, so a nail biter tomorrow. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to have. Um, um, Congressman Eric Swalwell. We'll talk to him a little bit about what some of the ground roots effort the Democrats have. Uh, we've seen Obama out with Warnock. Um, how how is it possible this guy could be? My neck is too big to be wearing a tie. I'm not wearing a tie. They know that. But this is what I'm running against. I'm running against this slick preacher. This slick preacher that talks so smooth. Y'all saw what he was saying in that debate. So smooth. He talks in complete sentences. He knows what the hell he's talking about. This smooth talking preacher. How did we get to a point? I mean, I thought Trump was horrible. This guy's you're right. <laughs> he is. But this guy's off the charts. Um, no, he's under the charts, brother. <laughs> he can't. Be he, could be, he could be the next U.S. senator. And, and what will that let me ask you, if he wins and even though Trump didn't go there. So Trump obviously got the message from somebody that, you know, uh, was it Coke money or I don't know, but don't go to Georgia. And he hasn't gone to Georgia. And and um, the 37,000 votes that um, Warnick won by, um, it could increase. I mean, I look at the early voting as a positive sign. And there was a lot of it record setting early voting. Um, what has that what's going to happen tomorrow and over the and over this next week? And how will it affect what happens moving forward, if at all? You asking me or Brooklyn? Yeah, either one of you guys jump in. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this: um, I think Trump didn't go there because he heard the Charlie Daniels song. Uh, you know, devil went down to Georgia and was looking for a soul, soul to steal, and uh, he may have been in a bind because he was behind. But Trump couldn't make the deal, so that's why he didn't. Ah. Show up. <laughs> There's a good reason why Trump didn't show up. But as far as where, where this portends for, look, we've been divisive politically. This is all, all you know, 40 years in the making, beginning with Reagan or even and uh, Nixon and Newt Gingrich and the divisiveness in this country. What the Republicans want is uh, someone who will vote as they tell them to vote. They don't necessarily want a cogent individual. They want power. And well, to be fair, power, Brian, Democrats do the same. The whip, but the, Democratic Democratic whip will not, you down. the Democrats will not take it to the links that the Republicans will. I have yet to see them if there's a Democratic equivalent of Herschel Walker out there, I'd I'd love to see them. Can I, can I, can I jump in on, on this? Because uh, I feel two things about this uh, this race in in Georgia. Number one, uh, I'm insulted. Uh, I feel highly insulted that the Republican Party thought that they could just put 
a prominent black man in there against Reverend Warnock and thought that the black voters and white voters wouldn't know the difference between an articulate, uh, principled, intelligent man and a, a bull, a, a, a complete buffoon who, you know, um, who is lacking in substance, in in ability, in every category you can imagine. That's number one. And number two, I am worried. I am concerned. Like we've heard that 1.8 million early votes have been cast. And for the most part, I believe uh, the number I saw this morning was 58% of those early votes were um, in the Democratic column, which is good. But I'm I'm nervous because I don't even I don't know if that's a big enough early vote margin to uh, to counteract what's going to happen with the same day votes tomorrow. So, I mean, we've been focused on getting out the vote, getting out the vote, getting out the vote. And what we should continue to be focused on today through tomorrow is getting out the vote, getting out the vote, getting out the vote, because it is way too close for comfort. Does it help the fact that gas prices are going down. Inflation seems to be abating despite Powell, you know, going to bump it up again. Um, there's some worry, but overall, the economy seems to have stabilized from it, this little bit of a recession we had this year. And, and, and I wonder, I mean, all I can think of is, guys, is the only reason somebody would vote for Herschel Walker is they freaking hate Democrats with every no. ounce of their soul. no. It's George. Look, I've you know I have relatives who live in Georgia. I I, I my my I grew up with SEC football. This is not a, a hate issue. These are oh, people. it's always a hate issue, Brian. It's, Come it's on, it's not. It's not, Chip. It's it's too easy to say that there are people in Georgia who simply will pull the lever because I love Georgia football and Herschel Walker is my man. And I'm not racist because I voted for a black man and he played football. That's that's the in some cases, that's the thought process. Sure, in many cases, it's about hate, but it's you cannot dis, you cannot discount the fact that in Georgia, football is king, and the thought process goes no further than that. I, and I'm not disparaging. That's pretty condescending, dude. That's pretty, I'm not trying to be condescending. Second, this I'm is a hold on for being down there. But Look, this is the same state that elected a Jew and a and a black man. And yes. okay, I'm so not saying that those people, I'm, I'm saying do not discount the fact that there are people there who do not look any farther uh, in politics than he, he played football. That's I'm I'm sorry. But for some people and remember, we are, are caught up in the world of politics. There are many people, especially in parts of rural America and outside the D.C. bubble that care very little about politics at all. And so if they're going to vote, it's going to be a, a vote of convenience. They consider all uh, politicians, you know, corrupt. And so they're going to follow what they think is their best instinct. And by God, he played football. He's Georgia. He's a boy. We love him. And that's all it takes for okay. hundreds of thousands or millions of voters. I, I doubt that's the majority, though. I, no, I it's think not. That's it's a, not the that's majority. A, Absolutely it's a minority. Not. It's a slice, sliver. It's, not, it's, it's larger than we think. Because I've I ask been you something down there and this talking. will sound crazy. Does it help Walker the fact that Georgia's rated number one right now in, in the college rankings? Doesn't hurt. <laughs> it doesn't. No, I'll buy that. Um, all right. I, there's a bunch of I'm gonna get to a lot of things. Let me just ask your predictions here. Um, I predict that Warnick's gonna win by four or five points. I think that's not gonna be we're not gonna have these runoff things. I mean, they're gonna bitch and cry like Kerry Lake and Trump and others, but I think I think Warnick's going to pull this out, um, and it's going it's going to win like fifty, maybe fifty two, fifty three percent. It won't be a fifty one forty nine thing. I don't think. I think, I think it's going to be a lot closer. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I think fifty three is about right. From all right. So uh, in this county to the east of Charlotte, uh, apparently two goobers decided they didn't uh, want a drag show to go, so they went and they shot up some power grids. That's one way of looking at this. Um, either way, uh, what is it with Republicans and gay people and or trans? I don't I think there's some other critical questions, Sean, we got to ask. There are some critical questions on that. that well, look at it. He's closeted. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there's a problem right there. Listen to this. This is Ingram. Lindsey Graham. <laughs> listen to this. Now, we saw this dynamic play out yesterday 
when 12 Republican senators, all the usual suspects, voted for the deceptively titled Respect for Marriage Act. <laughs> deceptively titled because it's gay people. Um, you know, the, this drag show, the, the Club Q thing, right? And, I thought that was a drag show we just watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Club Q thing. Um, if this if this really happened, as some people are, uh, if people don't know what I'm talking about, it happened over the weekend. There was a shoot. Couple, somebody broke down a fence and shot up some power grid structures, and it knocked out power to close to 100,000 people in a county about, I want to say about 40 miles east of Charlotte. And um, it's a big deal because it was last night. It was like 30 degrees, and there's people there that obviously can't heat their homes, and you know a lot of poor people in these counties in in, in North Carolina. I guess my question is, is that um, you know, after Fuentes, and we'll play, we'll get to that in a second, but it seems the Republican Party, um, you know, whether it's Marsha Blackburn or it's or it's McConnell, nobody, nobody is still strong enough to stand up to this Trump base. And um, so I'm beginning to think now that what some people said is true. When Trump's gone, Trump's shadow will continue to cast all over this Republican Party. For how long is the question? Of course it will, because that's where the money and the influence and violence is. And that's a lesson that uh, is well learned by the GOP uh, electorate, and they will they will continue to support those people that are extreme until those who are not step forward and do something about it. It's it's you know part and parcel chip with the idea of because Elon Musk took over Twitter, you've got to run away from Twitter. Screw that. Yeah. I, you know I, I, you got to stand up to people at some point in time. You may oppose them, but if you run away from them, they win. So don't run away from them. And, and by God, you, you know, I would re much rather go to a drag show than go to church. Far more interesting, better for you. So <laughs> the hell with that crap. Uh, church can be a drag show, too, depending on who's holding. Uh, yeah, it's right? a Catholic church thing. Yeah, you well, we're, we're, yeah, I'm not religious at all, and I know you aren't. But I know there are people that are watching this that are going, what? But let me ask, let me ask you guys this. So in Brooklyn, you were going to comment on that. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I wanted to say what we're seeing uh, with the 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 hatred, the attacks on the LGBTQ community. Uh, we're seeing a a recycling of of the dog whistle of the alarmism from the right that we saw back in the 2000s during the, the 2004 election specifically their clarion call was oh gay marriage is a threat to you know our way of life our family values etc cetera, etc cetera. i don't know if you remember that but that was i that do was, remember that oh yeah that was how they rallied uh voters and you know, fast forward to today, and it's that otherism. It's that look at how weird these Democrats are with their crazy drag yeah. thing. You know, they they are driving up that um, that fear factor in their voters. Like they're going to turn your your kids gay. They're going to turn your kids into drag queens. You know, and that's that's all it is. They're using fear and ignorance to to. Uh, you know, to galvanize their base. And I hate to say it, it is kind of working on that side. And Democrats have not yet figured out a um, an effective response to that hateful, ignorant attack. Well, it, it's, that's the hateful, ignorant attack of, of the ages. I mean, Stone, go back to Stonewall, go back to the 50s, go back to the 30s. This is all part and parcel, the same thing, the civil rights movement. I mean, the problem with this country is we... And, Humanity in general, we never seem to learn from our past. It's it this these lessons have been taught endlessly over generations, and we still have those in this country who will not learn from it. I have hope that they are diminishing in numbers, but their voices are still loud and carry. And even though they are a minority, it seems for a while that they have power, but I have hope and faith that they do not, because after all, there are more people that identify. As, as gay or trans or, or, or on that, you know, LBGTQ uh, spectrum than ever before and, and more accepted than ever before. So I have hope for the future, but the, the narrow pinheads that put on those funky white, you know, uh, towels on top of their head and walk around with little eyes cut out like they're, you know, they're, <laughs> those guys, they're, they're, they're smaller in numbers, but they get angry, you know, they're cornered and they're upset. Screw Here's them. how you know it's bad, guys is that um, Alex Jones actually had to tell 
uh, uh, Kanye. Hold it, hold, hold it. When he started talking about you, <laughs> you know, you know what well, this guy. I will eat your ass. I will. <laughs> you know when that guy bankruptcy like him. <laughs> when he crosses to your side of the aisle, you know that something's wrong. But the fact that Republicans, I mean, and uh, we're going to get into this with Lauren in a little bit because uh, she went up to Blackburn and tried to get Blackburn to say, your president is meeting with somebody who denies the Holocaust. How can you continue this? But I mean, this Fuentes guy, um, he's just a tip of the But iceberg. I would say that the Jews had better start being nice to people like us because what comes out of this is going to be a lot uglier and a lot worse for them than anything that's being said on this show or has been said on this show. In spite of the fact that I have been bullied by the Jews and I have been oppressed and slandered and lied about and attacked by the Jews, I have been completely precise for the most part. Oh, so, for the most part. Look, he's, what he's doesn't bother me. But, he, he needs to do a couple of push-ups. He couldn't play football for me. He was probably picking okay. last for kickball his whole life. But, he but here's the thing. No, no credibility. You, you get Chappelle going on SNL and doing these anti-Semitic uh, jokes and they, and they were anti-Semitic. I, I mean, um, I'm, I, I think Chappelle, I mean, Chappelle did a joke. I was online just trying to get a gauge because it's been a long time since I'd seen his stuff. And uh, he did this one thing about gays and he was talking about how LGBT wanted to get rid of uh, the phrase husband and wife. And he's like, come on, man. Yeah, gay people, you know, whoever's the gayest is the wife. And everybody laughed. Right. Um, and it's kind of part of the whole LGBT thing, too, about, you know, I've heard over the years, can you guys not dress with those ass chaps and stuff like that, please? You know, because it's hard for us to defend you when you look like that. And we hear that all the time. Right. Um, and so the Republican Party has taken that to heart. Um, you know, I mean, I love Al Franken, but that thing holding his hands over those woman's tits and that in that photograph, this right wing whack job that she is and came out later. That was really stupid. And Democrats do that crap all the time. We talk one way and we act another, whether it's Clinton with the so women the in the 90s. What? So do the Republicans. I you know, I know, but we're, we said we have the higher ground. And so I think I don't, that we, I don't think either party has the higher ground. I think one of them is more dedicated to the Constitution than the other. But we're all people and we all inhabit the same ground. The problem is the Democrats allow the Republicans to frame the message and they don't do it themselves very well. That's their big problem, in, in my uh -huh. humble opinion. I don't want to get too far, of course, but that that whole thing with Al Franken, you know, context matters like about yeah, when, he wasn't when, he wasn't a U.S. And, senator. He was a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, back then there was a lot of like that. In, in my opinion, that was that period of time where people were all over the map, you know, comedies on TV, like mainstream comedies were doing shit that you would not see anywhere today. So, you know, this whole thing has been a, a learning process. But the, the difference is Democrats, we um, are in good faith trying to, you know, trying to, to do the right thing. And Republicans will only point out those instances when it can hurt somebody on our side. They don't, you know, they never refer to those instances as oh, you know, um, we were bad, you know, we were wrong, etc. They always... Uh, point to an Al Franken thing and say, "Look, he's uh, you, you know, he's a hypocrite. He's Look at that woman. He's uh, okay. abusive." All right, um, you're listening, by the way, to a Brooklyn Dad, Brian Karam. I'm Chip Franklin. That's what the Franklin. Thanks for being there. I, I think one of the things. Um, let's just jump a little bit to Trump's comments mm -hmm. about the U.S. Constitution and the lack of a response from the Republican Party. Former President Donald Trump is in your news feeds this morning for suggesting parts of the U.S. Constitution should be terminated. And that puts some Republicans in the hot seat for failing to condemn that remark. Robert Costa is in Washington with this story for us. Bob, good morning. Good morning, Tony. The former president's post comes as the Republican Party is still dealing with the fallout from that dinner Trump had with white nationalist Nick Fuentes and the rapper formerly known as Kanye West, who has continually made anti-Semitic comments. That dinner and Trump's post present a reckoning for his party about its future. That's that's where we are. The fact that the Republic, what he said in effect was to destroy the Constitution. And um, a little bit later on, we'll have um, 
some we do have a couple of Republicans talking about how Jefferson uh, they, they misquote Jefferson. Jefferson never said a violent, bloody revolution. He said we should tear the Constitution up every five years and rewrite it. Right. But he didn't say we should have a bloody revolution, but they've made it up. They've taken a, something that, that, that Jefferson never said. And uh, now they're 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 purporting to say, well, you know, this is this is their defense of Trump to go to Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're going to if you can defend that, it's game over. Well, yeah, if you can't look, you take an oath of office to defend the Constitution. If you can't defend the oath, you do not deserve to hold public office. So anyone who won't come out against Donald Trump should be removed from office. End of story. And that would be most of the GOP. And as far as, uh, you know, as far as Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson said rather than government, he'd love to have a free press ahead of the government. So maybe we just get rid of all of it if you want to go that route, Bubby. But that's not where they really want to go. They just want to justify their own, uh, you know, uh, despotism. That's all this is, is another, like Brooklyn was saying, this is just an attempt to attack and deflect from what they actually do on a daily basis. And Donald Trump doesn't even know what's in the Constitution. I guarantee you, he couldn't tell you what the Bill of Rights were or are. We couldn't name three of them. He couldn't. So, you know, him deciding that it it should be a... there have been a lot of wake-up calls, and Chip, four years of covering that guy and being in the White House every day covering that guy, this is to the point where it doesn't surprise me. It infuriates me, but it doesn't surprise me. I, I wish I could say that um, – I, I wish I could say that I am uh, not surprised. You know, uh, I'm, I'm not at that point – I'm not at that point yet where this shocking shit – has ceased to shock me. And I, I, I prefer to keep it like that because it is important to maintain that sense of outrage because if you don't, then this shit just becomes normalized and you just look at it and like, oh yeah, that's perfectly normal. It's not normal. And the hip, the glaring hypocrisy is really what gets me. It was just, it was less than a week ago, Kevin McCarthy said that, you know, uh, this new Republican-led House is going to get on the floor of the House and read the Constitution every day. And like less than a week later, the dude says, oh, let's terminate the Constitution and crickets. And that shit is just outrageous. Okay, That's because he just read it for the first time. <laughs> let's, let's roll all this into the Musk Twitter thing, because you got Elon Musk talking about, you know, well, what about our First Amendment as it applies to Twitter? And first of all, we all know this, That's right? The- it has nothing to do with Twitter. The First Amendment, Congress shall pass no law. That's what it says. Twitter can do whatever they want, and we will comment on it. Now, I know that we've had everybody on both sides from Jim Jordan to Elizabeth Warren, talking about some sort of regulation on social media, which is just a horrible idea. Let, you know, again, let us just, you know, again, if Mastodon or, or, or Post or whatever these other things work, I mean, we're all used to this. We like Twitter. You know, we, we feel comfortable operating within it, what it is. But, you know, I mean, there are algorithms now that have cost us thousands of, of followers. And I get the kind of hate stuff that I get every day. But, but... Let's all understand exactly what free speech is. And so, you know, we do understand that the, the Constitution and the First Amendment specifically defined that this is this is speech against the government. Well, that, and this is what remember, if you recall, and I'll shut up, that Trump joked about sending journalists to prison and having them raped in jail. No, so, he, he he didn't joke, just joke. He also made uh, strides to take away our press passes and to remove us from the press room. Well, yeah. your press pass was taken away. Yeah, I sued him and won three times, that little fucker. But <laughs> sorry for my foul language. But but look. Sorry, mom. <laughs> sorry, mom. But there's a difference between free speech and the First Amendment. The, the idea of the First Amendment is the government cannot tell you to shut up or impede you from gathering or impede you from worship. And so I've I've actually had a First Amendment fight. I went to jail four times to defend a First Amendment right because the government tried to shut me down. That's First Amendment. The idea of free speech is I disagree with what you say, but will defend to death your right to say it. And that has been replaced in this country by I disagree with what you say, and therefore you should, you know, I, I will I will fight to death to keep you from saying it. And that's the problem is that we don't accept uh, and nor do we understand the difference between the two issues. 
They have similar roots. They have similar uh, feelings. But the one is the government can't shut you down. The other is just a bunch of people arguing. Get used to it. The other day on on Twitter, uh, I I had the pleasure of reading a reply to one of my tweets that uh, suggested that my 14-year-old daughter should be raped. And, um, you know, this is Elon Musk's idea of free speech. Like I reported it and a bunch of other, like hundreds of other people reported it. And uh, Twitter was like, no, nah, that's okay. That, no, that's that, a criminal that, act. That's a threat. That's, that, that, that's not free speech. That's a criminal act. The, the they didn't, act of threatening to kill someone down. or maim someone or hurt someone is actual, in actual fact, a crime. So yeah. that's not free speech. Outside of the government is limited. You can't commit a crime by committing free speech. You, you can't say, and, and, and you can't go, I specifically want to get people riled up and go kill Chip Franklin or Brian Karam or Brooklyn Dad. That's illegal. So there are, well, there, yeah, it's illegal. You have to specifically use this. I mean, this is one of the reasons why they're not going to get Trump for inciting January 6th. I just don't think that, you know, I mean, I'm not well, I think the easiest way Trump goes down is the uh, uh, search of Mar-a-Lago. But that's that's a different issue. Yeah. By the way, I want to remind everybody, please subscribe. If you're watching this, it helps us all a lot. And uh, we all do this. And um, I do appreciate you being here. Um, and you can email oh, me. Also, at Go ahead. Folks, um, please uh, do us a favor. Do Chip a favor and give this video a thumbs up. He puts a lot of hard work into this, uh, bringing entertainment and information to you. The thumbs up actually really does help his channel, his um, his content a great deal. So hit that thumbs up button too, please. Thank you, uh, Brooklyn. All right. Um, so again, when we talk about, let's, let's, I hope you guys can hang. Uh, Lauren is not here yet and I don't know I'm what happened. All right. Thanks, man. Um, and she was uh, I have her stuff, too. I, I edited her her video um, and we'll, we'll give her a couple more minutes uh, and still still to come is the best thing you'll see on the Internet today, which uh, is, is a very, very funny bit. Um, but when I think about just, yeah, I don't know if I, you know, sometimes you you we read things as a harbinger of, of things to come. And, and I look at tomorrow's election as, you know, hope. Um, but I also think that this thing is not just about one person anymore that what trump has created and what he did was he just lifted up a rock and we all heard of the different metaphors for this but now we realize that there people you know everybody from mitch mcconnell to to kevin mccarthy to uh, uh you know marjorie taylor green to lauren Boebert and others um these are just just very ignorant people who are uh, afraid and angry and will do whatever they can to get wherever they need to go and that means whether it's, you know, uh, black people, Jewish people, uh, LGBT people and start going down the list, Hispanic people, um, you know, I don't know. I, you know, it's, it, I really can't. I don't know how much lower they can go, but I'm sure. Well, they'll dig a new hole wherever the however low they go, they'll find a lower hole to, to, to dig into. Look, it's all about separate. It's it's tribalism. It's separating the wheat from the chaff as far as they're concerned. They want freedom, but only freedom for them. They want freedom of religion, but only for them. Their idea, and I've spoken with some of them who believe that freedom of religion means that they have the right to proselytize to us and to convert them to their religion, and we don't have the right to say what we want. That's their idea of, of, of freedom of religion. My freedom ends where your nose begins. That's freedom. That's and they. So what they are, and it hasn't changed any. And I, and Chip, I still have some hope. I I still think that we've turned the uh, the corner on this a bit. And hopefully, I, I don't look at the uh, midterm elections as any great victory for the for the Democrats. I I wish it were. It, it scares me that. They were running. What was it then, Brian? It was it was actually historic it was a loss. It was, but it was a it was a, loss. And it, was, it was a historic vote. I mean, really, yeah, but it, was, it was still a loss. I mean, they lost the house to a group of people who now advocate the dissolution of the Constitution. That's that's could be frightening, but it still have I still have hope because I think it it wasn't the it was historic and it wasn't the the wipeout and the red wave that the Republicans were hoping and praying for. So I still have hope. Um, okay. So when, when you think of Republicans and, and I, um, I guess we're not going to have Lauren today. That's a shame. Um, 
She said, just texted me, just seeing this. So sorry, my phone died last night. That's what I love about doing this live. I do. <laughs> I, no, I'm totally serious. You know, it's like, no, I, mean, no. I have, I have Swalwell scheduled for tomorrow, but there's an incredible good, good chance that he won't show. And, <laughs> and I like Eric. He's a good guy. You know, I mean, he and, is. And I want him to tell his story of being on the house floor on January 6th and calling his wife, who's giving the kids a bath and, you know, not worried if he, you know, wonder, he, look, if they'd have caught yeah, Eric Swalwell, if they'd, have, if they'd have caught Eric Swalwell, they would have killed Eric Swalwell, without a doubt. I mean, and Nancy you, Pelosi and Mike Pence and anyone else that I was there among that group. They were a frightening group of individuals. I think I've told you the story of them coming over and trying to attack me. Um, I was standing there. The, remember the wall? They were all crawling up that wall. While there were stairs, by the way. Yeah. 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 The, well, that's what I said. I said, hey, morons, what do you crawl <laughs> the wall for? I said, there's stairs on either side. So they you said that. Yeah, of course. I yelled it at him. I said, so one of you is going to break your damn neck. Use the stairs. So they, one of them did fall down and I think did break his neck. And there were about six of them that came running over to me and, you know, reporter, we're going to pound you. They'd already beaten the hell out of an AP reporter and somebody, and another friend of mine had cold copped him. But I whipped out my Playboy press pass. I said, wait a minute, Playboy. And, and they stopped. And the one guy said, uh, can you get me into the mansion? Yeah, Playboy. It sure. saved your ass so many times. It, it has. That, that press pass has saved my butt. That's, and they walked away happy that they could go to a Playboy party. Did you ever go to the mansion? Once. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I met James Kahn there, the actor. And there were um, there were these two women who were engaged. We were standing by the pool and they, and they were engaged together and and they invited us both to go into the grotto. And I looked at him. I said, um, uh, uh, Jim, I didn't know. I, I said, well, what's a grotto? And he goes, you don't want to go in there. The water will make you pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he I, there, so I took his word for it. I had a girlfriend who appeared in, in nude and in, in, uh, later on nude. It was like that old song uh, from my love grows cold. My memory has just been my danger. My angel is right? <laughs> It was like that. Um, but I, I think about like, you know, uh, where we are and, and the different, um, you know, tells that we have, you know, for people that are in poker, these poker players, they'll say they never look at their cards, really. They look at the other people and that tells them how they should bet. They can see it in their eyes. And we all have tells, you know, in fact, I've, I'm thinking about trying to write a book about them because I, there are certain tells about the way people act. For example, um, people that back into parking spaces. Who are these people? Uh, <laughs> That's what my wife says all the time. What the hell is up with that? I did this, Brian. I, I got these kids. And I had them go and find cars that were backed in. I gave them 10,000 flyers. They ended up using about 4,500. And they put them on there for a poll. And, and people did it. And they emailed me the results. And I asked them their political affiliation and, you know, um, uh, whether or not they had a college degree. And because I back in and I tell my wife, the reason I back into a space is because I know when I'm leaving, my mind is already moving someplace else. I backed into people half dozen times in my life. Right. So I, I, I so now I know how I think I want to, this is my little sense of planning before. Um, but I, here's a crazy thing I found out of people that out of 4,500 people that responded. And I don't know what this means, but 72% were left-handed as opposed to like what 12% of something or 6% of the general population, a really low number. But I guess back to this point, it's just like when I look at, at, at Trumpers and I try to figure what the tell is and when they, and I think most of it is, is they're the kind of people that talk about fighting, but could never actually get into a fight because they're just not prepared to get hit in the nose. Getting hit in the nose ends as a kid growing up. I knew this. I was taught this, you know, by by priests and boxing, hit somebody in the nose and the fight is over 99 percent of the time. And they're just not ready for that. So here's this guy. Oh, he was, uh, his name is, my priest told me to hit a little lower. <laughs> uh, again, you know, when you hit somebody in the nose, you know, it, it just it, their head rings. They just stop. And I'm not calling for violence or anything. It's, this is more metaphorical than anything. But this, this is some of the stuff that Lauren, Lauren Windsor, by the way, is uh, I'm, I'm sorry we didn't get her on. Um, and we'll do it again. But I want to play. I, I downloaded some of the stuff and some of the interviews. And this is one where this guy, his name is Michael uh, Gableman, and he was an auditor in the 2020 election. And here he is talking to Republicans about, again, about violent overthrows. Beautiful world. But it's that very comfort 
that is keeping us from what our founders knew to be the only way to keep an honest government, which is revolution. Thomas Jefferson said that the tree of liberty must be watered by the blood of the revolution every generation. Said that, by the way. Well, that's a misquote. Yeah. Um, and here's another one from Mo Brooks, who is uh, damaging on the same. The level. reason that we're here today is that um, you are such a courageous supporter of our president, like coming forward and challenging the Electoral College when like, I, I mean, I, I'm not hugely into politics. Right. So Twenty five percent of the voting machines to register votes for everybody on the ballot except Mo Brooks. Rigged them. That's 11 out of 45 machines. Um, in one location, which was in the heart of the Republican part of that legislative district, there were five such machines, the kind where you pull a lever and an X would appear, you pull the straight party lever at the very top, and it was supposed to be an X beside the names of all the Republicans. The X would appear everywhere except where my name was. It just makes it up. And you saw the four Pinocchios. They, they, they took the they wrong and it would stop. What's that? He took the wrong acid at Woodstock. Yeah, but I mean, again, you know, when you look at these guys and and they, they got to a point where they just know that like Trump, you can just lie. And then when somebody starts to investigate that lie, tell another lie. And when somebody investigates that lie, tell another lie. And you just can't keep up. I mean, the Jim, fact checker. Good. So I just want to say about, about Lauren Windsor, who was uh, originally supposed to be your guest uh, today. Uh, the stuff she does is fantastic. And we saw more of it in that second clip you showed where she kind of she she kind of I don't know if she actually has a southern accent, but she does no, she put does. on that southern <laughs> accent in, in real life. I, I didn't know. But um, she puts she puts on that accent and then she says a few things that are um, complimentary of Donald Trump or the Republican Party, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let me play you one more. Here, here's her talking to him, uh, asking, trying to get Blackburn to talk to her about Fuentes dining with Trump. And I love the the, the PI guy, the the um the PIO guys walking along. And you know these guys, Brian, all the time. They say, "You just get in touch with us. We'll talk to you." But listen, three, two, one. I'm sorry, I have another one in here. Here it is. I'm sorry. Senator Blackburn. Hi. Hi. We're not answering any questions right now. We're doing Warren Windsor with the undercurrent. Will you support Trump to our office, please? Will you support President Trump or Ron DeSantis for president in 2024? Thank you for your time. Is it appropriate? No comment. But please reach out to our office. You don't care to comment about the appropriateness of President Trump dining with a neo-Nazi? Please reach out to our office. Is it appropriate for President Trump to dine with a neo-Nazi? Senator Blackburn? We're not answering questions. Please reach out to our office. Seriously, just leave them alone. National, was it a national security threat for President Trump to store classified documents at Mar-a-Lago? You've got my card. We're at an airport. Reach out to our office. Great. Okay. Have Thank a great you. day. Oh, I want to. I want to smack the guy. Lauren's here now. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Hi, Chip. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Sorry. Good morning. Uh, we've been singing your praises. I uh, hope your ears were burning. Um, you, you know, we. we does it so that was you at the D.C. airport. I was walking by. I wondered who that was. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was and and the reaction from the staffer. I know that guy. What a turd. But the, <laughs> that, that's how they react to the press all the time, as if we're supposed to be deferential to the people that we hire to do a job for us. I just leave her alone, for Christ's sake. She's a U.S. senator. Please. Yeah, she's my employee. Answer the damn question. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I've been a little bit more aggressive about, you know, if you run for public office, you know, expect to be answerable to the public. I, I talked to a lot of people in Tennessee who, uh, you know, they were just like, she hasn't held a town hall in, in years. So when are we supposed to ask her any of these questions? She doesn't answer any questions, by the way, if you contact her office either. I can't. We'll speak to the, uh, I think her press limits are uh, the Daily Caller, the Epic Times, and um, uh, and that's pretty much it. And news. Lauren, how, how often do you think that they're either afraid and they just, they don't know how to communicate, arrogant that you're, how dare you question them, um, or um, simply just, uh, you know, lost? I mean, that well, might come up above. And, and ignorant as well. The biggest problem with most politicians I've ever run across in the last 40 years is that they, they believe they have a stature they don't have. 
They don't like it when people ask them questions they don't want to answer, and they run for cover and use their staff to deflect for, from doing it. And every politician that I've known to some extent will do that, but it is the GOP right now that simply will not engage because they cannot defend what it is that they do. What they want is power, and what they care about is themselves, and they don't give a shit about any of us. Look, all, all three of you um, ha- are outspoken, and we've, Brooklyn's talked about the threats he's gotten, and Brian physically and, and, and via email. Lauren, when you approach these people and you get those PIOs that try to get in your face, um, are you ever a point where you're, you're worried or frightened for yourself? There's really not a fear factor involved with it. Um, it, It's more of the logistics of trying to weave around staffers and, and, you know, being able to get a clear view of the politician. But, you know, the more that you're hidden around a staffer and you're not talking directly to them, the easier it is for them to weasel their way out of answering a question. But, you know, with the Marsha Blackburn one, you know, obviously I'm right next to her. He's doing a very good job at blocking. But when I move around, I'm directly in front of her. You can see, you know, she's not very happy that she's being forced to endure uh, this line of questioning that she's clearly not going to answer. But it's a really simple question, right? Were you uh, holding your cell phone? Was that cell phone? Yeah, it was my cell phone. Yeah. This was not a planned thing. Um, I am from Tennessee. I spent uh, Thanksgiving in Tennessee and happened to be on the same flight as her. And (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you something. I've done I've done a lot of man on the street. What you do takes balls. It really does. And I and I've done it before and I've had people get in my face. And um, um, but what you do is great. You come across uh, and, and, you know, and part of this maybe go to the the chauvinism of, of men in power, you know, that they'll talk to any woman because they think, oh, I can handle this. And then you stick it right in their face. It's awesome. But I mean, I think that that there's something about uh, your approach that gets the kind of responses, whether it's Ron Johnson. I didn't play that one today, but in the past, you um, you will you elicit the, 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 the truth from these guys until they can stop themselves. Is it the way you phrase the questions? Why do you think you're so successful at this? Um. I think a lot of it has to do with um, approaching, uh, you know, a bird dog interview from uh, a place of, and I'm sure the targets wouldn't say that it's respectful, but I try to be as professional as possible and not make it uh, an ad hominem attack on anyone. Not, um, you know, I try to make the the questions concise to the point so that not only does the person who's the target like immediately understand what I'm asking, but you've got to think about the medium of video. You know, the fastest that I can say something, the the most concisely I can say something um, is going to, you know, come across better on, on video as well for the audience. So I think it's just a combination of, you know, not being too aggressive where it's like threatening. I, I'm, I'm not approaching it from a threatening or disrespectful um point of view i I think is probably why lauren i'm I'm a big i'm a big fan of yours i've been watching what what you've been doing and i think it's it is courageous and it is fantastic it kind of reminds me of what i don't know if you you know sasha baron cohen he had the show and you know so he would have interviews with people and like he fully embodied the character uh to the point where the person he was excuse me, the person he was interviewing did not know, you know, that he was doing this, you know, for a, a bit. What was it that? Yes, his name was Giuliani. Yeah, Giuliani oh. laying on the bed with his hand in his pants. Yeah. 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 My, my question is, what was it that made you jump into, what made you decide to start doing this in the first place? Well, so um, I launched this web show with the Young Turks in 2012, uh, and it had arisen through, um, uh, just I, I had become a self-taught videographer. I'd already been writing a blog called Lady Liberty, and it was, it was through activism with Occupy that it, it got started. Um, I had been pursuing a career in fashion design for many years, but um, I started going around the country uh, to document protests. I you know, felt like this is a real moment where I'm able to witness history, and um, it felt very important that I could have a role in, in shaping that or at least like preserving that history. And so it's funny um, that you would start with Wall Street, uh, Occupy Wall Street, because 
when you interviewed the Republicans, then the people, the poor Republicans, it reminded me a little bit of Trumpers. They were defending Wall Street. And I would say, do you have a 401k? Do you even do you have even any stake? And no, we don't. But, you know, they're American. I go, they're screwing you every possible way they can. And and it, it was it, you talk to these Occupy Wall Street people, and I'm, I'm sure you did. There were some smart people out there pointing out, you know, pre- you know, again, what happened in, in 08 and 09 and the fact that one person went to jail when two trillion dollars disappeared from our economy and, and banks and insurance companies all were, were selling bonds that they knew were fraudulent and no one went to jail. I mean, those are those were heady times to be getting in people's faces and asking those tough questions because I mean, we didn't really know the full thing until a couple of years later. Well, if I may, Lauren, what you do is is quintessential to journalism and reporting and that's that what you've said that you've done and how you do it is how uh reporters young reporters are trained or should be trained and one of the greatest things missing in journalism today is that wonderment that discovery and that ability to concisely ask a question frame it as such that it is professional frame it as such that it is confrontational we have become too much in the white house briefing room and elsewhere in Washington and elsewhere across the country, merely stenographers who uh, take down notes and uh, spew them back out, whether it's a, an anchor or reporter live. It, our business has always drawn people that are curious and of a, of a independent nature and mind such as yourself. And the biggest problem we have in our business is keeping people like yourself because of a lack of pay. So uh, hats off to you for what you do. Yeah. Sorry, I had to put that in there. Hey, before you guys go, um, can I show you the, the best thing on the internet today? Yes. Um, did you guys see Saturday Night Live? Anybody watch it? Okay. Yep. This, is, this is the funniest thing. Are you feeling tired and worn down? Sick of the endless grind at work? Exhausted by your family, desperate for some peace and quiet? Then ask your doctor about COVID. By simply getting COVID, you're guaranteed a five and sometimes even 10 day vacation from all of life's problems. I needed a break, just some time away from everyone. So my doctor suggested I get COVID and it was the greatest week of my life. All I wanted was to sit on the good part of the couch and watch the Netflix I wanna watch. And I was finally able to, thanks to COVID. At first I was worried about getting COVID, but my doctor assured me it's fine now. I'm triple vaxxed, quadruple if you count HPV. So it's my time to shine. Side effects of COVID include having COVID, which is still kind of bad, but doesn't it seem different now? I definitely got sick. <laughs> but I also got paid for 10 days to never leave a blanket. Plus, I got a great story I could tell people at work. It was like I had a bad cold for three days. Ooh. And of course I had to isolate from my three kids because I didn't want to get them sick. But uh, what do they eat? I gave it 14 days to be extra safe. And for an so, anyway, that's very funny. Have you guys Except, all had COVID? What's that? Have you guys all had COVID? Well, here's the funny part. My, wife, it, my wife doesn't find it funny. She is at the end of it. She's getting, she has long COVID, real bad back pains, and um, and some taste, smell issues. Hopefully that goes away soon. So um, she wasn't laughing quite as hard as I was. But I, I haven't got it yet. Have you got it, Lauren? Yeah, I got it uh, in twenty twenty one that summer. I I haven't. I've been vaxxed and uh, uh, and uh, boosted three times, as you know, so five shots, and I've I've never never gotten it. And I sat next to a guy in when it first broke out. Trump had a a thing in the White House with the Chinese delegation. I sat next to a reporter from the Wuhan Wuhan Wuhan, uh, 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 play, Wuhan uh, News. Yeah. And so I, I sat there and I said, what is that? Like the Wu-Tang clan? I'm making fun of him. for, And then it turns out they all got it. And I, I have, I, I, I had know. to go get tested because I was questioning Rudy Giuliani right uh, before it came out that he had COVID. So it was, um, Whoa. The, during the Georgia Senate runoffs in 2020, um, he was at the state house and uh, there's a good video of him asking him if he uh, had asked Trump for a pardon. And so I'm right next to him. And then it comes out the next day that he has COVID. And I was just like, if Rudy Giuliani gave me COVID. <laughs> no, well, that's why his hair was running. <laughs> that website is laurenwindsor.com. You can see all those videos there and, and catch up on her. Let's do it again soon, Lauren, okay? 
Great. Thank you so much, Jeff. No, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, again, and uh, you guys uh, go and get out of here. Thank you so much. And Brian Karam, his book is called Free the Press. You can find it everywhere. It's in its 80th printing or something like that, fourth <laughs> printing, whatever. It's awesome. And Brooklyn Dad, Defiant on Twitter, at Brooklyn Dad. And uh, check his podcasts uh, on um, uh, Facebook, right? Uh, no, it's actually on YouTube. It's oh. uh, story, t- story Time with BDD. Story Time with BDD. That sounds like a porn thing, but I, I... <laughs> no, no, that, that would be, oh, that, would be the, the show. that would be that would be the late night with BBD. <laughs> All right, folks. Is too. All right, thanks for everybody for watching. Please, uh, uh, Brooklyn, <laughs> please subscribe. Follow me on Twitter at Chip Franklin. Get out of here, guys. Have a great one. Okay. Thank you. All right. Again, that is Brooklyn Dad Defiant and Brian Karam, uh, White House correspondent. Um, fun stuff, guys. Appreciate it. You can, again, um, if, uh, Lauren Windsor at LaurenWindsor.com. And uh, I don't know what Brian and, and those guys don't have um, websites, but we'll work on that. All right. Tomorrow, uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell will join us and we'll talk about Georgia. We'll talk about you know, whether or not he's thinking of running for president. You know, there's a lot of people and a lot of speculation on that, too. So stay Stay well. We'll see you again. Uh, again, please subscribe. And until then, I'm Chip Franklin. See you. I can handle things. I'm fine. We shall overcome. Yes, we can. Person, woman, man, camera, TV. What the f is wrong with you?